Bible today, I want you to go ahead and grab it and turn to Ephesians chapter 3, which we will be in for today. Today, we are continuing our series, Walls Fall Down, and we are culminating the first half of the book in part 6 today. At the end of chapter 3, culminating the first half, which divides Paul's thought into two separate thoughts. Paul, the writer, the author of this letter, the apostle, wrote this 2,000 years ago to the city of Ephesus, to the churches and the believers there. And what they experienced there is much of what we are experiencing here today in our own city and in our own culture. The climate, the cultural climate that Paul was writing into was a climate that was very divided was a city, was a region that was actually polarized, as is our cultural climate as well. Has anybody noticed, just out of curiosity, that we have somewhat of a divided, polarized uh, culture? Anybody uh, pay attention at all to anything that's going on? Um, the, re- the reality is, is just crazy of, you know, where we find ourselves in this cultural moment. And it's amazing how much that it ties into what we're finding in this letter This God-anointed, universally uh, applicable letter in the letter of Ephesians. What's unfortunate is that we live in a society that demonizes cultural differences rather than delighting in cultural differences. Rather than delight that you're different than me, rather than delight that, wow, you you think differently and operate differently and look differently than me, we actually demonize those, those those differences. We demonize uh, those differences, and there's even a sentiment in our culture now that tries to avoid those cultural differences. There's kind of a severe version of this, but then there's also like a subtle version of this. The subtle version of this um, is, is similar to what we experienced a couple weeks ago. The former CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, um, recently in a town hall in response to racial issues that they were uh, facing in Starbucks as well as issues that we face in our culture, he, he said this in his, his interview, I don't see color, or I didn't see color as a young boy, and I honestly don't see color now. Now, let's just have grace because he's not here to defend himself, and I'm sure if he had the mic, he would be able to defend himself, and so we're going to give grace because we're the people of God and the kingdom of God. We're going to give grace. The idea, I think, that he was trying to communicate is that I love all people regardless of what they look like, and I want to treat everyone as a human and not notice their color or treat them specifically in one certain way because of their color. I essentially want to be colorblind in the way that I live and operate in our culture. That's actually a common sentiment that if we would just ignore our differences and get along together, if we just minimize all of our differences and just try to get along, then we would be fine. The problem with that is that it's cultural appropriation. It's minimizing differences rather than um, loving differences and recognizing differences and celebrating those differences. And what Paul's going to show us today is that we can't lose our cultural differences, there's something that is actually um, beautiful about our differences, but there's, it's not only beautiful, our differences are not only beautiful, our differences are divine, he's going to say in the passage. It's crazy what he is going to unpack for us uh, today. And the reality is that we're living in a culture that is becoming incredibly diverse, one of the most diverse cultures in the history of the world, and that is only the trajectory of what we are facing in the decades to come. The Pew Research Group says this, um, our population is becoming increasingly multicolored. In 1960, the population of the United States was 85% white, but by 2060, in just a few decades, it will only be 43% white. And we were once a black and white country, and they say, but now we are a rainbow. 
And the reality is, is that because of immigration and just because of the way that our culture has gone over the past few decades, what is setting uh, the stage for the future, there are more non-white babies being born, in, born into America right now than there are white babies. So the reality is, and the, the culture that we are facing and where we are heading is a culture and is a country and is a city that is only more diverse than it is right now. But here's the issue. Mark Demaz, who is a pastor and speaks highly on the multi-ethnic church, and he's quite a expert on the topic, he says this, churches are unfortunately 10 times more segregated than the neighborhoods they are in and 20 times more segregated than nearby schools. And the issue is, is that if, if, if we want to be relevant in a few decades, the church has got to change in, to meet the context and where we find ourselves, but it's not just a matter of relevance today. Even if this wasn't the case about our culture, it's a matter of theological foundation for the way that God expects and instructs the church to operate. So here's what I'm going to do today. Today I'm going to end um, the first half of the book in part six in Ephesians. Chapters one through three in the book of Ephesians of six chapters in its entirety. Chapters one through three are Paul's theological treatise for the kind of unity and reconciliation that the church, the church of God, has to be a part of. And that's his entire theme is unity in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God and how the gospel tears walls down. And then he's going to piggyback on this on the final three chapters in chapters four through six and actually talk practically about what this looks like as we process this and face this in our own culture. And I know that some of you have given me a hard time. You're like, Ethan, we get it. We get it. Can you just tell us what to do? The apostle Paul would say, hold on, okay, we need doctrine before we get to duty, all right? We need doctrine before we get to duty. We need belief before we get to behavior. We need principle before we get to practice, all right? So hang with me. Today, I promise you, is the last sermon in the series of Ephesians in which I will make the case, in which Paul will make the case for God's strategy for the church to be multi-ethnic. And so my goal today and Paul's goal today is that we would understand this and we would believe this and the remainder of the series will be focused on how to do it, how this plays out in the life of the church. Is anybody with me today? You with me? Okay. Here he goes. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. He says this. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And to me, though I am very least of all the saints. I love that, by the way. I love that Paul, the chief apostle of the church, says, I'm the very least of all the saints. That's why he was such a reconciliation warrior is because he had humility. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, I'll remind you, the Greek word here in the original language, it's the word ethnos. It's where we get our idea and our concept of ethnicity and ethnic groups. He says he preached to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were all the non-Jewish folk, all the non-Israelite people, the non-Hebrew people, all those outside of the initial nation and kingdom of God. He's been given this mantle to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, I want to, um, I want to park on one word before we continue and move on. It's this one word, gospel. Um, I'm like a gospel fanatic. I don't know if you knew that or not. 
know if you've been paying attention lately while you have been here, but I absolutely love the gospel. And the gospel is an unbelievable, a beautiful reality for us and for Christianity. If you lose the gospel, you lose Christianity. The word gospel here, geek out on you for just a minute, is the, the word euangelion. It means the content of good news. It means good news. Anybody just out of curiosity, by the way, like good news? You like good news? You come home after a long day work, and your spouse has got good news for you. You know, good news. We got a check in the mail, baby. Got a check in the mail. That's some good news. Got a promotion, honey. You don't believe this. I love good news. The word gospel, euangelion, it is the good news. It's a good announcement. It's good news that you hear of something. And then this word preach, it's kind of like a piggyback on the word gospel. It's the Greek word euangelizo, which is the verb form of euangelion. It means the communication or the proclamation of this good news. It's the telling of the good news, the announcing of the good news. Here, here's, here's what I love about the gospel. And this, you have to understand this in order to understand Christianity. If you don't understand this, you're just doing religion, you're just doing church, you're not doing Christianity. The gospel um, was a word, um, euangelion, that was, um, I like this, it was kidnapped by Paul and the church and then used for spiritual purposes. I love that. Um, Paul's like a gospel ninja. He's like he's going to st steal stuff and use it for his own purposes. It's, I love it. It's, it's awesome. The word gospel in the first century, it was actually a wartime word. It was actually a military word. All right, so imagine with me. You're in a city. You're in an empire. You're in a nation. Um, you don't have cell phones, you don't have internet, you don't have TV, you're living in the first century, um, there is an enemy, there is a foreign nation that wants to attack you, but what happens, your king, who is good, goes off to battle for you, he leaves the city, he leaves the empire, he goes and fights uh, on enemy uh, territory, rather, and he goes and he fights the battle, but while he's gone, you don't know how things are going. You don't get Twitter updates. You don't get to check on the news to see how we're doing over there. Are we winning? Are we losing? The people would actually live in fear. They would live in fear. They would make themselves ready because they didn't know if the foreign nation would win. Then they would come and they would attack them. And so the whole time while your king is gone, you're trying to make preparations to, man, I hope we're going to win. I hope we're going to be okay. You would live in fear and insecurity and doubt and wondering, and you wouldn't be able to live in freedom and victory until the king, once he won the battle, he, he would send a, um, a messenger of euangelion. He would send back to the city and to all the cities in the empire a messenger who would carry the gospel of the king. And he would come back to the city and say, guess what, everybody? We won. We won. We defeated those jokers. And now we get to live in freedom. We get to live in victory. And your king has conquered the victory for you. So therefore, go and live in peace and freedom. And I'm going to go to the next city and tell them too. And we use that word. We hijack that word spiritually speaking, for the announcement, for an idea of what we understand God has done for us. That Jesus Christ, your king, went into enemy territory and defeated your enemy of Satan, sin, hell, and the grave and conquered that and defeated that and then he sends the gospel, the good news to you that you are now free. You're forgiven. The enemy has no more hold on you. You're completely free. You stand. This is the gospel. This is the this is the good news. This is the good news of what Jesus has done for you. And it means that we, today, we can stand in strength and confidence and belief and victory, knowing that Jesus is for us, that our sins are forgiven. Everything that stood against you and God, every wall, Jesus tore it down. We stand in freedom in this gospel victory. And Paul says, I was made a minister of this gospel. 
a proclaimer of this gospel, that my role and my job and my duty is to proclaim the gospel and the good news. But here's the truth. Um, that's not only his role, it's your role too. You're supposed to be a minister of the gospel. You're supposed to be a proclaimer of the gospel. You're supposed to be a carrier of the good news wherever you go to let people know that Jesus has defeated the enemy for them, that Jesus has given them salvation, that Jesus has given them forgiveness. And if they trust him and follow him and give their life to him, that he, he is their king and he is their Lord and he is their victor. It's the gospel. It's the good news. And Paul says, this is what I'm about. And we need to make it clear just for our church that we are a gospel church. All right, we're, before we're anything else, before we're this kind of church, that kind of church, this, whatever kind of church, we are a gospel church. All right, everything centers on the gospel and the good news of what Jesus has done. And I love the way that Tony Evans, the pastor, says, he says there's the content of the gospel and then there's the scope of the gospel. The content of the gospel is what Jesus has done for us. We stand in victory, reconciliation between God and between man. The scope of the gospel is where the gospel impacts things. And the scope of the gospel is universal. The scope of the gospel is endless. It impacts your marriage. It impacts your money. It impacts your sexual life. It impacts your uh, vocation. It impacts your relationships. It impacts everything. It's the scope of the gospel. The content of the gospel is what we stand on and we center on, but then we recognize the scope of the gospel impacts everything. And the reason why we talk about issues in our city and issues in our culture, issues in our country, is because of the gospel. It's because of the scope of the gospel, because the gospel changes everything. And he says, I am a minister of the gospel. And then he says this in verse 9. He goes on. This is my favorite part. This may be my favorite passage in the entire book. He says this in verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. He says, I'm a minister of the gospel, but I'm also a, pro a proclaimer of this gospel and to bring to light for everybody God's plan, God's mystery. It was a revelation that was not yet revealed, but now is being revealed throughout the world. I'm a proclaimer. I'm a messenger of this mystery, of this plan, of what it is. And we're like, what is it? What are you proclaiming? What was the plan that God had for ages and ages and ages and millennia in his kingdom, in his nation? This is it. This is God's plan, verse 10, so that through the church... The manifold wisdom, or that word could be diverse wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Here's, here's the reality. Let me try to break it down for you briefly. God has a plan, and God's plan didn't start yesterday or a few years ago or a few decades ago. God has a plan, and his plan was from eternity past. That God had a plan, and God had something that he was working on, that he's been working on for a long time. It's a mystery that wasn't revealed in until Paul's day. And this mystery, um, one commentator says, though not understood by men and women, had been planned by him, the creator, from eternity. Before the foundation of the world, he chose a people for himself in Christ. Salvation and the unity of Jew and Gentile in Christ have always been his purpose. And he who created all things in the beginning with this goal in mind will consummate his work of recreation on the final day when he brings all things together in unity in his son, the Lord Jesus. Which, by the way, heaven is unity. That's what heaven is. Heaven is unity. It's what the gospel accomplishes for us. It's all people with God living in unity together. And here's this word that I want to break down for you. 
Paul says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be revealed. All right, manifold. Um, I hear that word, I immediately think in car engine. That's what I think of um, as a dude. I think of a manifold on a car. Um, what exactly does the word manifold mean? I'll put it on the screens for you. It comes from the Greek word, apolupoikolos. Like, did he say that right? You'll, you'll never know. You'll never know. Here's, here's, here's what it means. This is how you could translate it. I got to geek out on you for just a minute because it's, it's important. Manifold means pertaining to that which is different in a number of different ways. You could translate it many and diverse, manifold or many-sided. Others would translate this word as variegated or multifaceted, or even some translators would translate this word multicolored. Here's what Peter O'Brien, the chief commentator, says on this passage, on this word, actually. The compound adjective meaning manifold or variegated or very many-sided was poetic in origin. This is the first century, referring to an intricately, uh, intricately embroidered, embroidered pattern of many-colored cloaks or a cloak or a coat or a garment that was, was many-colored. It was a man or the manifold hues of a garland of flowers, a bouquet of flowers and all the different variations and colors. It is used here in a figurative sense to speak of the richly diversified nature of the divine wisdom, God's wisdom. And he says this, in our present context, however, this variegated or diverse wisdom has particular reference to God's richly diverse ways of working, which led to a multiracial, multicultural community being unified as fellow members in the body of Christ. It's huge. He, he would go on and he would say this. Most interpreters believe that Paul has in mind neither evangelism, social action, or any other additional activity by, by God's people. Instead, through the church signifies that the very existence of this new multiracial community in which Jews and Gentiles have been brought together in unity in the body is the manifestation of God's richly diverse wisdom. And its presence is the means by which God himself discloses to the powers his own richly diverse wisdom. Anybody want like the dirt road version of that? Is it over anybody's head? All right. Let me break the dirt road. Let me break it down the dirt road version of this. Let me break it down for you. Number one, I'll put all three on the screen for you. The plan of God for all time, number one, has been to show off who he is to all. That's God's design. That's God's agenda. That's God's plan. The reason that you exist is because God wanted to show off. The reason that there is even a universe is because God wanted to show off. God wanted to, like, show us how awesome he is. He wanted to just demonstrate to the world how amazing he is. He's, he's, he's freaking amazing, y'all. I mean, he's, like, awesome. I mean, you don't even understand, like, everything that God is. I mean, it's just unbelievable how amazing he is. Which is why we see in the scriptures that everything exists for the glory of God. It's for his glory. It's for his name. It's for his sake. Which means we can't boast in ourselves or pat ourselves on the back because we ain't nothing. It's all about God. We got to pat him on the back and give him praise and let, it, let everybody know it's about him. And it, it ain't about us. It's about him. That everything, God's plan, you could say that sounds very prideful of God. It is. That sounds very self-centered of God. It is. God is God-centered. For him to be anything else would mean that he is not God. He wants, if he is the very best thing in the universe, it only makes sense that he magnifies that so that other people can experience that. That's his plan. That's his goal. That's his agenda. He's unbelievable. The plan of God for all time has been to show off who he is to all people. Number two, 
What God wants to show off is how infinitely multifaceted and diverse his nature is. Or to use the word in the text, how manifold, the the manifold wisdom of God. What he wants to show off to the world is how infinitely diverse he is. His nature, his nuances, his character. I mean, it's just unbelievable. He wants everybody to see like how crazy diverse he is, how infinitely beautiful he is. So so manifold, multi-sided, multifaceted, variegated, so diverse, so beautiful. And so he had to come up with an idea. He had to come up with something that would give us and give the world a little bit of a picture of how beautiful and how diverse he is. Is anybody with me? You see where I'm going here. Number three, as the means to show off his diverse nature, God created a group of diverse people, the church, who would display what he is like. You and I are supposed to be like a kaleidoscope. You ever seen one of those things before? You know, with a little kid, you get this little tube-looking thing, and you, you look in it, and you turn it, and it's all the different shapes and all the different colors, and you, you see, wow, how amazing. That's what you and I are supposed to be like because that represents, and when we are like that, it actually rep- re- reflects and represents to the world what God is like. Y'all, like, people are supposed to show up here and be a little weirded out by what's going on, okay? Just, just acknowledge that. People are supposed to show up here, and I don't understand what's going on, right? Old folk, young folk in there. What was the old people doing with those young people and that loud music in there? That just don't make sense what they're doing in there. They're supposed to be like, wow, well, that's, that's great, man. And then there's like, there's like low-income people and middle class, and there's like high-income people, and it's in the same, like rich and the poor and like all sorts of different walks of life. And, man, you got like uh, African-American people, you got white people, you got Hispanic people, you got um, Asian folk. It's just what are they all doing in there? What is going on in there? It's supposed to not make sense. People are supposed to show up and see the kingdom of God and see the church of God and be like, wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. And it's supposed to demonstrate something beautiful about who God is. We're supposed to be a mirror, y'all. Here's a question. When the culture looks at us, what do they see? No, what, what, is, what is the church demonstrating and showing to the world at large? I, w- I would offer to say that the picture isn't very pleasant of what, mo- what most people in our culture see about the church. We want to be a place that loves everybody. Everybody is welcome. You come in here with your baggage and your pain and your addiction and your past and your problems. And you show up in here and you walk up in here and everybody loves you and you're welcome. And you're a part of this kingdom community together, not because of what you bring to the table, but because of what Jesus has brought to the table. And we're in this family together. And God had created you and created me and the church because he wanted to demonstrate to the world how beautifully diverse his nature is and how beautifully diverse his wisdom is. And Paul's like, that's the best I got, y'all. <laughs> that's like, the, if you're not convinced at this point, that's all I got. That's the best I got. And we got to be careful that we don't, the culture in some ways has kind of been ahead of us on this, championing diversity and some other things. And that's actually a failure of the church that we are further behind. Um, but that doesn't mean that they are wrong. They're actually on to something that the church should have been on to a long time ago. And we're not following cultural ch- trends. We're looking at what Scripture says and then being the church in, uh, in, our, in, in our context, in our culture. We're taking, we're taking the text and what the text says should be true about us, and then we're living this out in context, in our culture. 
And that's what we're doing. That's what Paul is trying to get us to understand how we have to be and what we have to look like. We're showing off God, y'all. Tim Banta, one of our elders, he says this. I'm going to quote one of our elders. Tim says, he said this last week, when we come together corporately as image bearers, we each display in a unique way a small bit of the image of God. And these image bearers come together to show a fuller picture of God and his nature. Here's what that means, y'all. God has designed the church for diversity, ethnic diversity, educational diversity, economic diversity, gender diversity, generational diversity. And when we lose diversity, we lose the, the, the design as well. And the diversity of the church displays the diversity of God's own character and nature. Here's what that means. The church is God's plan A for the world. God's not banking on Wall Street. God's not banking on the country club for doing his mission. God's banking on us. The church is God's plan A for the world. I love the way that Tony Evans says it. God isn't waiting on the White House. He's waiting on the church house. I love what Eric Mason says as well. The church has to return to its prophetic voice rather than its pathetic voice. All right. Here's the reality, y'all. We have an unbelievable prophetic voice. It's been given us by God. We've got to return to that, speak that, believe that, not be co-opted by the culture in which we find ourselves, but return to the true Word of God and the prophetic word that God would have us to speak into our culture. And it's going to be hard, all right? It's going to be hard. Some days I want to give up, y'all. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, this whole multi-ethnic thing, is it even worth it? I mean, sometimes I dream about, like, driving a bread truck on Monday. I'm like, man, it's like. <laughs> I, I could just listen to podcasts all day and eat bread. And I'm like, man, that sounds like a. That sounds like a great gig. Um, it's not easy, but um, it's what God has called us to. And because it's not easy, Paul says this. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He just drops down on two knees and starts praying, y'all. In the middle of his jail, jail cell. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, give you, grant you to be strengthened, you got to have strength, with power, through his spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, big faith, believing that you being rooted and grounded in love, you got to have love to do it, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He prays, y'all. It's going it's to be hard. It's going to be incredibly hard and challenging in order to be able to do what God has called us to do. It's going to be super hard. And so Paul prays for strength and for faith. I'll say it this way. Our success as a church hinges 
on whether or not we have the strength to overcome and the faith to believe. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got to have strength. Here's what's foolish of some of us. You think you've got enough strength right now as you are. Some of y'all think, I got this. kind of thing that God is expecting and asking us to do, you don't have the strength for that yet. You've got to pray for that kind of strength. You've got to ask for that kind of strength. And believe that. You've got to have strength and then you've got to have faith. You've got to have faith to believe, to endure when it gets hard, when it gets challenging, when it is, isn't easy. When somebody walks out of community group because of something you said, because something somebody else said. Hard conversations over coffee and lunch and folk after church and it gets challenging and sometimes you want to quit and you want to give up and say I've had it enough with these white folk (laughs) or I've had it enough with these black folk or these folk or that folk or whatever folk whatever folk you're going to get tired of say I need to have faith to hang in there and to stick with it and then he says this in verse 20 he says now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's like, amen. Y'all, I mean, God can do far more abundantly than anything that you can even think about. God's got the power and God's got the ability to do even more than you could dream of. You have never prayed a prayer too big for God. You have never dreamed a dream too big for God. God has never been intimidated by your inquiry of him. And God has never been surprised by your what if. What if. What if God could do it. He can do it. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. But it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today, and thank you for encouraging us through the Apostle Paul, and thank you for shaping us and directing us and molding us, and God, I just ask a special prayer today for us that you would, that you would give us the strength to overcome, as well as the faith to believe, and so Lord, we ask for that, and we ask for that strength and that grace, because um, we need it, we can't do it without you, we don't have what we open our hands and don't feel like we've got the resources to be able to do what you called us to do, but you provide those resources. You take our hand and you lead us in the way forward. So, God, we, we ask this and we pray in this way, in Jesus' name, amen.